0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now let me give you some background on 1 Samuel chapter 17. In verse, uh, in chapter 17, the time period is about 1042 BC. So that's a long time ago and Israel has been in the Promised Land all oh, about 360, 365 years. Moses is long gone and the Jews have had an on-off relationship uh, with God. Uh, the country um, up until about 30 years ago, little over 30 years ago was ruled by judges and the, uh, the prophet at that time would appoint the judges and they would rule the land. And um, the main prophet prior to this time, about 30 years prior to this time, was a fellow by the name of Samuel. And Samuel was getting old. And so he appointed his sons to be judges. And the Bible says that they were very dishonest. They took bribes and they perverted justice. And so about 32, 33 years prior to 1 Samuel 17, the children of Israel uh, got tired of, 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 of the wrong or the corrupt officials and they told Samuel that they wanted a king. They said, we want to be like other nations. We don't want to be ruled by a prophet and judges. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And so they were warned by Samuel that, you know, you need to understand, uh, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter. He warns them about the problem they're going to have if they have a king. They decide to go ahead with it. And so they chose a man by the name of Saul. And the Bible says there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so Saul... That fellow, King Saul, had been on the throne about 32 years. And in 1 Samuel 17, that's where we're at. And in 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites are gathered in a valley, and across the valley from them is their arch rival, the Philistines. And they were in a place called Shoka, the Valley of Shoka. Uh, About 14 miles out of Bethlehem. And the Philistines and them are getting ready to do war. And the Philistines were just a great big pain in the side to the Israelites. But this time it was different. The Philistines had a champion. He was a fellow that, depending on where you read, he was anywhere from 9 to 11 feet tall. His coat of armor that he wore was 125 pounds. And the head of his spear was somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds. So you can see what a little bitty kid. And for 40 days and nights, the Bible said, this champion of the Philistines came out and he would taunt the Israelites. He would say to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? This is in 1 Samuel 17 and 8. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And the Bible says that when... Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines. It uses two Hebrew words that they've translated into English dismayed and greatly afraid. And the word uh, dismayed in the Hebrew means to break down or to be prostrate. Uh, it, and so they were so afraid. this guy so scared the army of the Philistine uh, of the Israelites that literally their army, was afraid to do anything. Literally, they were scared. They were stuck in their tracks. And the word fear there meant dread. The dread of this God came upon them. And so, what do you do when you're faced, uh, when you're up against uns- uh, seemingly unsurmountable odds and faced with a problem and there doesn't seem to be an answer? And I don't want to see hands, but I'll bet you every one of us could raise our hands. We've been there, done that. Or we might be going through it now. What can you do when you don't know which way to turn when you're up against it? And it can be anything. It can be disease, sickness, depression. It can be financial difficulties. It can be mistreatment by someone. It can be a failed relationship. It can be anything that threatens to ruin or destroy your life. What do you do when you're caught between the rock and the hard place? Well, in this case, enter a teenage boy, shepherd boy by the name of David. Now, you need to understand that in 1 Samuel 17, David is referred to as a youth. And if you look that up in the Hebrew, the word youth actually covers anything from from infancy to adolescence. Most scholars believe that David was in his early teens. And the Bible said he was ready. He had red hair and he was ready of complexion. So he was just a youth. And David had come to bring his brothers. His brothers, David's brothers, were serving in the army. Now in those days, if you served in the army, the army didn't feed you. You had got food from home. That's how you got your food. And so David had been asked by his dad to bring Jesse, to bring food to his brothers. And so he brings food to his brothers who are in the army, and his dad said, find out how the battle's going. And while David is giving the food to his brothers, Goliath comes out and issues his challenge. And David, who's there, hears that and says, well, what's going to be done? listen to this. What's going to be done to the man who kills this, this uncircumcised Philistine? Uncircumcised was the way in the Old Testament they said that you were a Gentile. You weren't a Jew. And he said, so what's going to be done to the guy who will do this? That he should defy the armies of the Lord. Well, the men around him heard that and they go tell King Saul. Now David That little shepherd boy is facing the same situation, the same set of circumstances that Saul, King Saul, and the armies of Israel are facing, and yet his response and his outcome is different. See, David did some things that I believe you and I can do in our life when we are faced with difficult situations. When we're between the proverbial rock and a hard place. And I want to share with you just three today. So in 1 Samuel 17, uh, starting in verse 31, that's where we're at. In other words, David has gone to take food to his brothers. He's heard the Philistine champion. He has said, well, what's going to be given to the guy that does this? And so they go tell King Saul. And so King Saul, uh, verse 31, 1 Samuel 17. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and Saul sent for David. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Why was David's response different and his outcome is different? Well, I'm going to show you three things this morning. Let's go on. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The first thing that David did was... When the problem began to close in on him, he reminded himself of what God had done for him in the past. It's the first thing he did. When problems began to close in on you and I, when things began to get tough, we need to remind ourselves of what God has done for us in the past. Well, brother, I don't have nothing that God's done with me. Stick your hand up in front of your mouth and blow on it. You know that wind that's coming out from between your lips? Guess who gave you that life? I mean, if you got nothing else, you got that. But two things happen when you begin to remind yourself of what God has done for you. Number one, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it takes your mind off your problem so you can begin to see the solution. Now, I think we would all agree that nobody was more between a rock and a hard place than Jesus when he was on the cross. Let's go to, you don't have to go there, but in Hebrews 12, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Let us keep looking to Jesus. Our faith comes from him, and he's the one who makes it perfect. He did not give up when he had to suffer shame and die on the cross, he knew of the joy that would be his later. Sinful men spoke these words of hate against Christ. He was willing to take such shame from sinners. Think of this so you will not get tired and give up. In other words, when we remind ourselves of the good things that God has done for us in the past. When we look away from the natural realm. And we decide to begin to think and look under Christ. The one who, gave us et- who gives us eternal life. The one who forgave us of our sins when we came to Him. And He said, I won't remember Him anymore. The one who, when you came to Him and made a profession of faith, took you out of the kingdom of darkness. See, Jesus' example for us was this. Because His mind was focused on the fact that when He dies and He rises from the dead, He knew that one day you and I could come to Him in faith, And we would be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we'd have forgiveness for our sins. It wouldn't be like in the Old Testament where our sins were just pushed forward and we weren't saved. He knew that. And so he could, his mind focused on the joy that was in front of him. He knew that there would come a day. And so he could endure the humiliation of the cross. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, consider carefully how Jesus himself f- faced such intense opposition. He, so you don't get worn down and cave in. As a matter of fact, when we take communion, one of the things the Lord says to us when we take the elements, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because. He wants you to remember the things that he's done for you. As a matter of fact, if you're going through a rock, if you're going through a tough time in your life, let me make a suggestion to you. Sit down with your spouse and take communion at home. (gasps) No, there's nothing in the Bible that says we just have to take it at church. My wife and I used to do that all the time. We would sit down and we'd get out 1 Corinthians 11, especially when, when, when something tough was coming at us. And we began to remind ourselves of what God had done. We began to remind ourselves of what God had done. And so in communion, we remind ourselves of what Jesus made available for us on the cross. Let me encourage you, if you're going through a tough time, I encourage you to do that as a husband and wife team or even as an individual. When we remind ourselves of the things that God has done for us in the past, the problem shrinks. It begins to shrink and we see how big our God really is and how nothing is too difficult for him. What was it Jeremiah said? Ah oh, Lord God, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms, and nothing is too difficult for you. So the first thing that David did, he reminded himself of the things. Listen to verse, look at verse 37 again. Moreover, David said, the lion, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The other thing that happens to you when when we remind ourselves of past victories that God had given us, not only do we take our mind off of the problem and we get it, began to get it on the solution. And did you know that even psychiatrists without God will tell you that. Well, you need to quit focusing on the problem. Well, well, I agree with that, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to help you do things in your own strength. But as a child of God, when you begin to focus on the things that God has done for you and He said He will done for you, then you're relying upon God's strength, God's wisdom to do things. The second thing that's going to happen is this. It will encourage and strengthen you when you begin to remind yourself of the things that God has done for you. When we, when we remind ourselves of the things that God has done for us. We transition from being weary and worn down and, and wanting to give up to be strengthened with might by his spirit in our inner man. It just begins to rise up inside of us. As a matter of fact, there's a course, our Lord God, based on, on Jeremiah, Ah Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for you. I can't tell you how many times I'm going through a tough time. And after Sherry passed away, I would sit down with the guitar and just begin to say that nothing is too difficult for you. And so the first thing David did was he reminded himself of what God had done for him. The second thing that David did, he refused to allow himself to be distracted by worldly knowledge and methods. 1 Samuel 17, we're going to start in verse 37. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now look what happens. And so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put his bronze helmet on his head. And he also clothed him with a coat of mail. So David fastened Saul's sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, I have not tested them. So David took them off. David took them off. See, understand something. Saul was a disobedient king. He had disobeyed God on several occasions. As a matter of fact, at finally, Samuel had gone to Saul and said, because of your disobedience, God's removed you. And so Saul was operating... He was disobedient, he was operating in sin, and he was also operating in fear. And because of his relationship with God, King Saul's relationship with God, was tainted by disobedience and fear, he was using the only method he knew of going into battle. He was using the only method he knew. Human reasoning. I'm a king, I'm a warrior king. And he tried to impose those methods on David. He tried to get David to listen to human reasoning. That Matter of fact, if you were to go up to verse 33, and I read it earlier, Saul says this, don't be ridiculous when they bring David to Saul. Saul replied, how can a kid like you fight with a man like him? You are only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. I love the way Eugene um, Peterson puts it. In sounded so much like today in his message Bible. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been fighting. He's been in at this fighting business since before you were born. How many times have we heard that when people are trying to impose their their human reasoning upon us? I've been doing this since before you were born, you really don't know what you're doing here. There will always be someone or something trying to distract you from the ways of God. Getting you to be limited by human reasoning. A good example of that would be the children of Israel. The first time they came to the edge of the promised land. And they sent in 12 spies. And it was a land, they came out and admitted it's a land of milk and honey. Oh, yeah, it's great. But the people in there are like giants and we're, we're grasshoppers in their sight. And so rather than remind themselves of what God had done for them, how He brought them out of Egypt with 10 plagues, how when He had given them grace and favor with the Egyptians, So they came out with a lot of money and not one of them was sick. And how he brought them across the Red Sea on dry land and destroyed the greatest army at that time. And how he fed them in the wilderness. And I could go on and on and on and on. Instead of doing that, instead of doing that, they were limited by what they saw. And those people never entered the promised land. And you know what? Human reasoning will do that in your life. It will rob you of your promised land. It will rob you of the the fulfillment of God's promise and plan for your life. For the dreams that he may have have planted inside of you. Human reasoning will cause you to consider only the existing conditions. And things that can be perceived with your senses. And leave you trapped within the confines of what is humanly possible. Let me say that again, please. Human reasoning will cause you to consider only the existing conditions and the things that can be perceived by the senses and leave you trapped within the confines of what is humanly possible. I've said this to you before. There's, a, there's two things in life, fact and truth. Fact is the way things are. Truth is the way that God says they can be if you're a child of God. There's a difference. Sometimes the two of them line up, but lots of times they don't. And God wants more for you and I than just what this sin-cursed earth gives us. He wants more. Do you Have you ever stopped and realized? Now, I realize we live in a sin-cursed earth, but as Christians, we're brought out from underneath that curse. But did you ever stop and think, do you know, Jerry... That as a Christian, this is the only hell that you'll ever know. But for a sinner, this is the only heaven he'll ever know. That's, I don't know about you, but if I wasn't a Christian, that'd be awful scary. That'd be awful scary. When you have God-given dreams... People will always try to give you a reason why you can't or won't fulfill those God-given dreams. Ah, listen, you need to listen to me. I've been doing this since before you were born. Gee, does that sound familiar? Well, you're, you're not, you don't have enough experience. Look where you're at. You just, there's no way. And if you're not careful, human reasoning will give you an excuse as to why it can't happen. I think I've told you the story before, but many, many, many years ago, Sherry and I were living in a beautiful brick home in a town of about twenty some thousand in in South Texas. Beautiful home, beautiful front yard and backyard. And I felt impressed of the Lord. We we were attached to a local church. She was the um, young missions director. I was the youth leader, and we had about between us we had about 40 some kids and I felt as I had been praying I felt a stirring in my spirit that we needed to become itinerant teachers and I thought to myself God how am I going to ask my wife to give up this gorgeous home this beautiful home we have. How am I going to do that? And Lord what do we do? I, I mean, how am I going to get places to teach and and preach? And what what, what am I going to do? And if you've called me, it's your responsibility, Lord. I'm not going to go out there and beg for places. And I began to pray, and I began to remind myself that God has promised me wisdom. And one day I was out. Uh, Getting the uh, pebbles off our driveway, and the Lord. I felt prompted of the Lord, and I said to my wife, Honey, I think we need to, to sell our home, and we need to get a small travel trailer, and I think we need to go on the evangelistic field, become itinerant teachers. She goes, Okay, I like to faint it. But then I had been invited by a a very, uh, a large full gospel organization, I had been invited to come and get credentials with them. They were looking for teachers. And so I had to meet with their credentials committee and I filled out all the paperwork. You know, in the natural, this can't work. I didn't know anybody. And so we went up to Austin, Texas, which was about four hours away, about like from here to Billings. And we met in this big church and and it was a meeting and there were ministers there and I didn't know anybody. My wife and I didn't know anybody except the gentleman who had invited us to be a part of that fellowship. And when the time came, I had to walk through because they had the meeting room was up front and I had to walk through the church and go to the meeting room and I was in there and And I met with the committee and and, uh, everything was in order and they said, well, we, we really believe that the Lord's call is on your life. And I remember they said, there's not an issue. And I remember walking out and as I walked from that place and the distance was probably about from that wall to the front door. And I didn't know anybody. I got stopped 13 times by Pastors of churches who said, I don't know your name, but God's told me to have you come to my church and preach a revival. Now, in the natural, there was no way. But see, God's ways, God's ways. And you know what? For three years, as a matter of fact, in 50 years, I never have asked, but I never asked to minister somewhere. I said, God, if you've called me, you've got to, you provide. I'm not going to do it. And one 72 week stretch we were in 69 different churches. See, God's ways. I'm not, listen, it's got to be good because I ain't that good. I can tell you that right now. I'm not. It's God. God's ways of doing things. And if we're not careful Human reasoning will give an excuse why it can't happen. I could probably still be back there in that town, living in that house. When you decide to follow a godly principle of the Bible, there are always people who will tell you they've got a better way. They've got a better way. Well, I know the Bible says do it that way, but... but, but. Listen, you really, I've done this before. You know, you really need to do it like this. And just as God had tried to warn the people about a king, listen, the Bible warns us about being led only by mankind and mankind's intelligence and human reasoning. I can just give you two, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out and everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. Or Proverbs 14 and 12. And he repeats the same thing in Proverbs 16 and 25. There's a way that seems right unto men, but the ends thereof are the way of death. Now that death may be incepted in its form. In other words, it might be a beginning form of death. It may cost that. Death may be in your finances or in a relationship but you pay the penalty when you don't do it God's way. The Bible is fully, is so full of warnings about relying totally upon the wisdom of mankind. It's full of verses that tell us how much God wants to lead and guide us. See, man only has two dimensions, the past and the present. We access, I told you this I think last week, we access the past through our memory bank. We, we live in the, we, we access the past in our memory bank. We live in the present, or we relate to the present, by our five senses. But unless we have divine revelation, the future is closed to us. But not to God. Not to God. God's ways, it overcomes our past. It encompasses the present, and yet it provides for the future. That's God's ways, God's wisdom. And David reminded himself of what God had done for him in the past, and the second thing he did was he refused to allow himself to be distracted by worldly knowledge and methods. If you look at Psalm, if you look at First Samuel 17, verse 39. So David took them off. Now let's look. He took off the now let's look at the rest of this. I'm going to go back up to 38. So Saul pulled David with his armor, and he put on a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested him. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took him off. He failed. David refused to be distracted by human reasoning. Let's go on. Then David took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. The third thing that David did, he used what he had. He used what he had. So oftentimes we look for this gigantic, miraculous way out of our situation when, in, when the answer is within our grasp. And God's trying to get us over here to use what we have. And we want Him, we're looking out over here trying to, oh, this, no, God's, this. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't own a a ranch or a farm or something can tell you that they started off one day small. God, when we're born, the Bible tells us that God has placed within us wonderful gifts and abilities. And when you come to know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you And it empowers and enhances those gifts that you have. And you have everything you need in life, as if you're a child of God, to be a success, to be a winner, to overcome any obstacle through Christ. You have that. The Bible tells us again and again. Look, let me give you examples. Look at Moses. He's on the backside of the desert. And God says, he sees this burning bush, and it's not consumed. So he goes up to it. And God says, take off your shoes. And so God tells him he's going to set the people free. And Moses says to God, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. And God says, what do you got in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it down. He throws it down. turns it into a snake. He said, pick it up. He picks it up. It's back into a staff. So then Moses goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks for a sign. So Moses throws his staff down. I love this. And Moses, it turns into a snake. And Pharaoh gets his high priest. He's going to get them involved. The worldly way. And they throw their rods down. And they turn into snakes. But there's one different. Moses' snake ate theirs. What was God saying? Hey, I can overcome. i got something to cover anything the world the world can throw at you. That's what he was saying. Anything the world throws at you, I got it covered. And God wasn't up there going, gee Moses, I didn't figure they were going to do that. Well, that took me by surprise. No! Look at Peter and John. After the day of Pentecost, the Bible in Acts 3 tells us that they were going into a temple and there was a man who was who a lame man from his mother's womb, begging alms and he he wanted alms and Peter said, silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I you what did he have? He said in the name of Jesus that's what he had. Rise up and walk And you know what the man did? He didn't just walk. The Bible said he went leaping and and shouting and running into the tabernacle. They listened to God and they used what they had. And God hadn't changed. What he did for Moses or David or, or Peter, he'll do for you in your situation. Some Some situation got you between a rock and a hard place this morning. It might only be a small rock and it might only be a semi-hard place, but maybe you're stuck and you don't know what to do. Number one, begin to remind yourself of what God's done for you in the past. God, I thank you because you did this. You know... There was a time when the children of Israel were moaning and groaning and griping and God was angry and he was about ready to wipe them out. And you know it's interesting because Moses went before God and said, you mean to tell me God that you're going to wipe these people out and start all over again? You know what people are going to say about you God? They're going to say you brought these children of Israel out of Egypt but you couldn't bring them into the promised land. In essence God you weren't smart enough and powerful enough to bring them into the promised land. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful stuff. And God didn't destroy them. Listen God didn't send his son to die on the cross for you. God didn't give his him give you his holy spirit to live inside of you just to let you out here on your own and let you go under because of the world or because of some situation that's come up in your life. He hasn't done that. He doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be the overcomer that he plans for you. So what do we do? Remind yourself of what God has done for you in the past. And number two, refuse to allow yourself to be, dis- to be distracted by worldly knowledge and methods. Stick to the word of God. What does God tell me to do here? How does he tell me to act? What does he tell me to say? What does he tell me to think? Cast down imaginations. I'll cast them down. Not a problem. Under that. And then use what you had. Listen, um, a couple of Saturdays ago, I shared with the men's breakfast 21 different ways in the scriptures. And I just started the surface of scriptures that say God wants to lead and guide us and help us. 21. We didn't have time for anymore. If you ever decide you want a list of them let me know I'll just give you the list but God invites you this morning if you're between a rock and a hard place God invites you to come to him he said if you come I won't I won't cast you away I won't throw you away I won't turn my back on you I won't do that you have his promise if you call on him he'll answer you let's pray Lord Lord, you love us so much. We sang the song, Oh, how I love Jesus. Lord, how much you love us. That you have literally given us examples in your word. How you want us not to be overcome by the world. That's why you sent your son. And Lord, I know that not only in this place today, but in the sound of my voice even on the podcast, there's people who are going through a tough time. They're feeling the pinch of the rock in the hard place, squeezing them in, and they don't know what to do. But God, you've laid out a plan. You've shown us by your servants in the past. Lord, if we'll just begin to remind ourselves of all the wonderful. If we can't do anything else but remind ourselves that you loved us so much, you gave us your son and you forgave us of our sin. And then Lord, show us in the Bible the wisdom. You said if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Show us. Show us what you need us to do. Don't let us Give in only to that human methods, human ways. Don't let us be held captive by only human reasoning. And Lord, let us not despise small beginnings as your prophet Zechariah said. Let us realize what David it was a stone. With Moses, it was just a rod. With Peter, it was just his faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, if we decide to have communion at home, let your presence just come and fill our place. And Lord, I seal this word this morning in this people. Lord, don't let them leave here today and let the enemy steal it from them. But I ask you to seal it by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Gary?